This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. Hi, friends. It's been a while since I've been on the in the podcast closet. Um, now that serial serial killer Sundays, I forgot what they were called for a second. Now that um serial killer Sundays have moved to the bathroom and are recorded, but um. It's fucking cold in here, just thought you should know. Um, so, I feel like this should start with a story time really quick, because speaking of Serial Killer Sundays, I was supposed to record one yesterday, it's Monday, in case you didn't know, um, and uh, things kind of got away from me this weekend, as they tend to do every now and again, um, so if you have ever thought about purchasing a French Bulldog like I had, (laughs) um, they are prone to a slew of health problems, in case you're curious, the smash face dog, um, and actually Penny, my French bulldog, has tried to die on me on two separate occasions, uh, once because she got grass stuck in her nose and forgot that she could breathe out of her mouth, and the other time because she got plastic from a toy stuck in her throat and was, like, panicking, as you do. Um, but this weekend was a particularly special event for Penny. Um, she had this massive lump on her back leg, and I didn't know what it was, and I was just gonna ignore it for a while, and then the more I ignored it, the bigger it got, and I was like, mmm, she might have something wrong with her, and actually, um, so Thursday I had to go to a, um, calling hours for one of my family members, and that morning I woke up and I had had a bad dream that, um, like, Penny had cancer, and it was because I waited too long to take her to the vet, and so I was freaking out, and I woke up kind of crying, and then I remembered I had to go to a calling hours, and then I started crying harder, and then, like, by the time I started to calm down, I told my boyfriend, Chris, I said, Penny, what if she dies? Like, what if something bad happens? And he's like, no, the worst thing that would happen is they have to cut her leg off. And then I started, like, wanting to cry again. Because, like, Penny's not coordinated and she's not very smart. So thinking about her with only two legs, two legs, God forbid, thinking about her with only three legs, I was like, I can't handle if she's a tripod. And Chris was like, I shouldn't have said that. Um, so Saturday I took her to the vet. And so before we got in the car to go, which obviously Chris and his daughter, Kaylin, came with me to take her to the vet, um, I went to take her outside. So I live in Cleveland and it like snowed a whole bunch and then rained a whole bunch and then the rain froze on top of the snow, making that, you know, delightful, crunchy snow, if you will. And I took Penny out and, uh, she must have ripped open her big old lump on her leg because there was blood all over me. There was blood all over Chris's car. There was blood all over Chris. There was blood all over the vet's office. There was blood all over the vet. And Penny pooped in the vet's office too. It just was a mess. But apparently, to all you future or aspiring or current Frenchie owners, that kind of lump is normal says the vet. Um, they're called a histiocytoma, and apparently they're very common in Frenchies, especially younger Frenchies, and they get them on their legs, um, ears, and face, and apparently they're just this lump that kind of just explodes into this bloody mess, and then heals over fine, and it should just go away on its own, apparently. Um, not without making my weekend very interesting, and she's okay, which, like, 
thank goodness, because I would be a mess if she wasn't, because Penny is my love and joy in this world. Um, secondly, I made homemade enchiladas today, so have that information. I've been drinking margaritas, which, um, good thing I'm not recording in, like, real life today, because I am allergic to pre-made margaritas. I have not figured out what it is in pre-made margaritas, because I can take tequila, squeeze my own limes, and make my own simple syrup, and I am fine, but the pre-made Jose Cuervo margaritas, which is what I am sipping on tonight, uh, they make me break out in hives, like, all over my chest and back and legs and stuff, um, and I haven't really checked myself out. I don't really know how bad it is, but you know, so like my brother had Crohn's disease growing up. This is a really long intro, so I hope you're ready for story time. Um, my brother had Crohn's disease when I was growing up and I knew he could never eat dairy, but my brother still would. Like he would always eat like a big thing of ice cream. And I was like, why would you eat that if you know it's going to make you sick? But like, that's my relationship with pre-made margaritas. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. Uh, but here I am drinking them. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling fine. And I am, I'm so fucking stoked for this podcast. Part of my French. No, I swear. I'm not apologizing. I take back my apology. I'm so excited to do this one um, because the second I realized, first of all, it's the roaring 20s. So there's no better time than the present to cover this. But the second I realized this movie, which is one of my favorite movies in this whole world, and I wish you could see my hand motions because they're all over the place. I'm so excited. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, it's one of my favorite movies in the whole world. I love this movie. I love the musical. I love everything about it. I, ever since I started researching this, I've always had it stuck in my head. I, and it's so cool to know that it's based off of more or less an entirely true story and somebody wrote it who was alive at the time of it like it's so cool and you know it's based off a true story it's not like a weird thing so now that it's the roaring 20s let's discuss um about a hundred years ago oh that's gross ew the roaring 20s were a hundred years ago Wow, let that sink in for a second (laughs) while I I just mindfuck myself. (laughs) That's gross. Um, So they were, the Roaring Twenties, the 1920s, were a decade of economic prosperity across the whole world, which I didn't know that. I mean, I guess me and my simple-minded American brain thought it was only the Roaring Twenties for the Americas, but no, that's wrong. Because major cities like Berlin, Chicago, London, LA, New York City, and Paris, um, were like called the crazy years or the golden 20s in Germany. Art Deco was in, jazz and flappers were rampant, and this is known as the first wave of feminism. Large-scale development of cars, phones, radios, the movies, and electrical appliances occurred, and everything seemed possible. The future was right here. Like, I can't even imagine living on cloud nine like these people were. Like, they were like, we are fucking killing it. Um, Dance clubs were popular, which sported people doing the foxtrot, the waltz, and the American tango. And a whole slew of new dances, which were eccentric and wild, emerged as well. Young women no longer had to wear corsets and long skirts. They wore knee-length, sparkly, slinky dresses, which left their arms and legs exposed, which was never done before. Um, which actually, so back in high school, Coco Chanel was like one of my favorite people, not because of Chanel, but because of her like part in feminism and like getting people out of the corset era. So she was super popular in the 20s because she actually, from what I remember, I actually got student of the month in fashion class, which I wear pajama tops to work now. So I don't know what happened to me, but 
you know, she was very revolutionary in that time period of, like, kind of making the slinkier, non-corseted, non-fitted dresses popular. Um, so, yeah, the bob was the new thing, and makeup, which, now, up until that point, up until the, the roaring 20s, makeup had strictly been associated, really, with sex workers and people of that trade, and now everybody was wearing makeup, and it was kind of a thing that people could do. So that's really exciting. Um, after World War One, the Roaring Twenties were an age of social revolution. Women danced, drank, smoked, and voted. Speakeasies were popular at the time as well. So, like, that's just so cool. It's such a, it's such an interesting time where people can live freely and do what they want and just live on the edge of everything because things seemed like they could be so great and so good and there was so much hope. I mean, okay, but, like, also realistically... We know how this story ends, so not to, like, not to, like, ruin this for you. Um, the stock market crashes in 1929, um, which results in the Great Depression, because all good things, I mean, really, all good things eventually must come to an end. But before this, the lifestyle and glamour of Chicago in the 1920s gives rise to a story that I'm sure you've heard of today. Have you guessed where I'm going with this yet? Because I'm fucking stoked. Um, so the movie musical Chicago is actually based on real crimes, and this is pretty close, um, closely based to actual events that happened. So in this research, I stumbled across an article, um, and it was written based off a newspaper clipping from July 28th, 1935. And the title of the news article was, um, quote, Find Cook County juries kind to lady killers. Seven of every nine women tried for murder since 1906 are acquitted by Joseph U. Dugan. For people who can't do the quick math out there, which myself included, is about 80%. So from the time of 1906 to 1935, 80% of women who were tried for murder during that time were acquitted. <laughs> So there was a blog post that I got this from, which was called Chicago's Women Who Got Away With Murder. I will, I will try to remember to um, link that down below so you can look at it if you want. The article was actually really interesting. I only pulled a couple bits of it um, because it really didn't go into detail about the two people I'm talking about today. Um, but it does kind of paint you a nice picture for um, like what we're going to be talking about. So... Like I said, I'm only going to read part, well, not, I'm not even reading part of it. I summarized part of it in this, but um, if you want to read it, I'll have it down below. Um, so it's basically summing up Chicago's woman who got away with murder, a 1935 report. Um, it talked about numerous women of the time who were able to get away with murder, or at least um, to not get the death penalty if they were young and pretty and chose their husband as their victim. So the 20% who were sentenced to prison time were, quote, old, unattractive, or both, and between 1906 and 1935, 67 women put on trial for murder were freed. The majority of them were jury acquittals. That's a staggering number, I think, um, and there's a couple of really interesting cases in here that I found super fascinating as to how these people, these women, who some of them were very blatantly guilty. And one thing that comes to mind, which I tried to find out if these people were based off of like real incidences that happened in Chicago, not the, not the musical, but the actual city, but I couldn't really find anything that's kind of rang true to the song. But if you've ever heard the cell block tango from 
uh, Chicago, it's the six Murray murderesses of the Cook County Jail, and there were six women who go through, like, their whole, what they did to end up there, and how they weren't guilty, and how, you know, they shouldn't be in prison, um, I couldn't find any of those specifically, I found a couple that were alluding to the case, but I couldn't find any that fit really well, um, but in general, not even, not, I don't, that was a weird sidebar, but not involving that. One specific case of good looks being an issue is in that of Dorothy Pollock, um, who received an acquittal after shooting her husband, Joe. The issue wasn't the evidence, because they had enough evidence to convict her. It was how beautiful she was. The court attempted to secure a good amount of women on the jury, thinking that they wouldn't be swayed by her beauty, but the defense blocked that motion, and there was no trial by a jury at all. The judge acquitted her quickly. Um, she claimed that she had ha- shot her husband in self-defense, and her judge said it was, quote, the law of nature and the right of every human being. So, basically, you're pretty sure I believe you that you shot him in self-defense. That's your right. Um, so, the stories pile up, and I mean, there are so many of young, attractive women being acquitted by a jury quickly. It's very, it's very common in this time period, and I honestly think that maybe because... Women were still, I'm sure, very thought of as the weaker sex. I think there was a long time where men, I guess, <laughs> couldn't wrap their mind around women killing anybody. You know, I guess, like, maybe back in the day they saw it as being, like, killing was a man's game. It wasn't something a woman did. Because, I mean, think of the anger and the rage and the strength that it takes to kill somebody... I think maybe back then they didn't think women were capable of it. Especially like especially a young, beautiful, vibrant woman. I think they were not expected to be capable of something like that, which jokes on them cuz they were. <laughs> um so as I'm sure you've noticed none of the aforementioned cases um sound like Chicago, but we're going to get there in a second. Uh Oh, ooh, I skipped a whole thing. I No, this one's actually better than the other one, so sorry. Um, another instance is of Miss Florence Leaney. Uh, she shot and killed her husband after a New Year's Eve party. The prosecution said that she most definitely killed her husband while he was asleep on the couch. Um, the defense said that it was self-defense. The jury deliberated for several hours but still returned with a verdict of not guilty. The prosecutor on the case said, uh, It's just the same old story, but it's... Ab- uh, oh, sorry. It's almost possible hello, I, I can do this. It's almost impossible to convict a woman for killing her husband. This jury, however, deliberated much longer than is usual for juries in such cases. Now, as I'm sure you've noticed, this is the point I was getting to beforehand before I jumped ahead of my notes, um, none of the aforementioned cases sound like the musical Chicago, if you've ever seen it. And if you haven't ever seen it, I really, really recommend you watch it. Um, if you can tolerate musicals, or if you like musicals, the 2002 version with Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones is actually amazing. One of my favorite versions of it, although I do tend to listen to the musical version of it on my Spotify over listening to Renee Zellweger's version of a lot of the songs, but I, like, that movie was, it's got everything. It's got the glitz, the glam, the suspense, the murder, it's got everything you could want, and it's really, really good, and it's really, really well done, and the more I tell you, the more you're gonna be like, well, I'm, I'm ruining the movie for you, (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm ruining the movie for you by telling you what this story. So if you want to watch Chicago before I ruin it for you, pause this, watch Chicago, and come back. If you want spoilers, I mean, here they are. Because this is going to be, this is basically more or less the entire plot of the movie. So, like I said, now is the time, I'm giving you a warning, now is the time to stop listening if you want to watch Chicago. Unspoilered. Although it did come out in 2002, so I mean, like, Jesus, it's been out for 18 years. You could have watched it by now. All right. So, um, the names Belva Gardner and Beulah Anan may not sound familiar to you, but you know them better as Velma Kelly and Roxy Hart, the two main characters of the movie slash musical. So, Maureen Dallas Watkins, another name you may not know, but she's also very important in this. Um, Maureen Dallas Watkins worked as a journalist in the 1920s in a Chicago courthouse. She worked for the Chicago Tribune. The things she reported um, there eventually gave her enough material to write her greatest work, what would be adapted into the musical Chicago. So, she was actually in the courthouse and wrote this musical based off what, well, it was a play, I think, at first. I mean, I'll get into it, but she, she wrote this, and it became a thing. So, um, it started as a stage play under the same name that was popular on Broadway about 1926-ish, and internationally, and then was adapted for a film in 1927 and 1942, which was called Roxy Hart. After Watkins died in 1969, it was turned into a musical, which, um, was in 1975, um, where it was then adapted yet again for the movie Chicago, starring Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones in 2002. So, first up, um, which I went uh, chronologically in the order of the movie, which I guess is kind of chronologically in the time of actual existence, but I felt like telling it the way the movie happens. Um, although... Is it? I don't, I don't. It's been a while since I've seen the movie, I will admit. Uh, but this is how I remember the movie happening. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, first up is Belva Gardner. And it's the German spelling of Gardner. She was born as Belva Eleanor Businger in, on September 14th, 1884 in Litchfield, Illinois. She was a cabaret singer who performed under the name Belle Brown. Um, she had married one time, then married a man named William Gardner in 1917. He was 20 years older than her and a wealthy industrialist, so she married him for his money, I'm presuming, or maybe she married him for love, hard to tell. Um, five months after they married, Belva had the marriage annulled under the premise that she never officially divorced her first husband. She and William married a second time shortly after their first divorce was finalized, but she divorced him again. On March 11th, 1924, Belva Gardner shot and killed her lover, Walter Law. Walter was a married man who had one child. He was found in the front seat of Belva's car with a bottle of gin and a gun laying next to him. Later, they found Belva at her apartment with her blood-soaked clothes on the floor. She said she had been drunk and couldn't remember what happened. She was arrested for murder and admitted that they had been drinking and partying at jazz houses. When asked why she had a gun, she said she was scared of robbers. So if you've seen the movie Chicago, or the musical Chicago, um, Velma Kelly said that she and her sister were traveling around with her husband for their double act. They, um, they were a cabaret, cabaret dancers, I'm assuming. Um, and I'm assuming that's where Maureen Watkins got the inspiration for her main character to be a cabaret dancer. The three were boozing and had ran out of ice, so Velma went to get more. When she came back, she found them together sexually. The Spread Eagle, if you know the song. 
She said that she had been in such a state of shock she didn't remember what happened and had blacked out, and that it wasn't until she was washing the blood off her hands that she even knew that anyone had died. Although the, some of the story is different, I feel as though the gist is still the same. Um, we also don't have any reasoning as to why Belva would have shot her lover. But so, the, the premise of someone ending up dead, this person saying, ending up covered in that person's blood and being like, well, I don't remember why they're dead. That story is still the same, whether or not it was, you know, a cheating spouse or whatever. We don't know the gist of it. Um, because, well, you know, Belva was never convicted <laughs> and she never, she never fessed up to it. So uh, we don't know why she killed him. Um, during the real Belva Gardner's trial, a lot of interesting information comes out. Um, one of her lover's co-workers said that Belva was a very, very possessive person and that she had threatened to stab him if he ever left her. According to the source, Law believed that Belva would kill him someday. Belva Gardner actually talked to Maureen Watkins, the writer of Chicago, and told her, quote, No woman can love a man enough to kill him. They aren't worth it because there are always plenty more. Walter was just a kid, 29, and I'm 38. Why should I have worried whether he loved me or whether he left me? Gin and guns, either one is bad enough, but together they get you in the dickens of a mess, don't they? Which is like one hell of a quote, right? <laughs> Gin and guns, either one is bad enough. What a badass. Um, so the defense suggested that Law may have killed himself with a gun, um, and Belva Gardner was acquitted in June of 1924. So... That's that. After her acquittal in 1925, Belva married her ex-husband a third time. He filed for divorce in 1926, saying that she was abusive and an alcoholic. On July 5th, William said that his wife threatened to kill him after he had found her with another man. She was also convicted of drunk driving in November of 1926. Belva Gardner attended the 1927 premiere of the play Chicago, which I think is so insane and cool. Because she was, like, one of the inspirations for Velma Kelly. So the fact that she knew she was the inspiration for Velma Kelly and then getting to go to the premiere of it, like, that's awesome. I think that's really cool. In 1930, Belva moved to Europe with her husband. Um, the husband she married four times, very casually. He died on December 2nd, 1948, and then Belva moved to Pasadena, California to live with her sister and died of natural causes on May 14th, 1965, at the ripe age of 80. Now... If you've ever seen the movie Chicago slash the musical Chicago, you know that Belva Gardner, a.k.a. Velma Kelly, is not the main person of the movie. She is like this person that Roxy Hart always aspires to be. She's got a great stage show. She's beautiful. She's kind of famous. She's a big deal. But she is not the star of this show. The star of the show is, I guess in this case, Beulah Anand. Uh who in the musical adaptation becomes uh, Roxy Hart, which I love that name. So Beulah Anand was born as Beulah May Sheriff in Kentucky on November 18th, 1899. She married her first husband in Kentucky, but the couple quickly divorced. She then met a car mechanic named Albert Anand, and they moved to Chicago together and were married on March 29th, 1920. So in the movie, um, Albert is a car mechanic, or a mechanic of some sort. He might not be a car mechanic, but I assume he is. His name is Amos. Um, and it I feel the connection there between the two. I never saw a picture of Albert Anand, but I can just picture Amos. And in my head, they look similar, I guess. <laughs> um, Albert found a job as a mechanic, and Beulah was a bookkeeper. 
At her job, she met a man named Harry Calstet, and they began an affair. On April 3rd, 1924, Beulah shot Calstet in the back while the couple were in her bedroom. She originally said they'd been drinking wine and got into an argument. There was, for some reason, a gun on the bed, and the two of them both reached for it, but Beulah got to it first and shot Harry while he was putting on his coat and hat. Then, according to her own statement, she put on a Foxtrot record and had it playing for about four hours while she sat and drank cocktails and watched him die. She called her husband to tell her she had killed a man who attempted to rape her. Of course, though, her story changed uh, kind of often. She originally confessed and then changed it to self-defense, saying that she was afraid she was going to be raped. Another version of her story was that she was that he was breaking up with her, so she shot him in anger. And then finally, she settled that she told Harry she was pregnant, he was upset, and the two of them reached for the gun. So, if you know anything about Chicago, that is a whole entire song called They Both Reach for the Gun. Um, and the whole movie has, it, it's so perfect, I mean, it's not perfect, but it has everything down to them both reaching for the gun, her being a jilted lover, her being pregnant, and her playing all those cards. The movie is so good, and I get that it's not, like, maybe the most historically accurate, but at the same point in time, if you want, like, I never knew the movie Chicago was true crime. I never knew, and it is. It's absolutely true crime. It's not even like a like a suspensey kind of movie. It's true crime, absolutely, which I'm into. Uh, it, you know, it's got just the right amount. It's kind of like a Sweeney Todd, just the right amount of murder to like music and catchy tunes, just like every everything you want in life. This has the same thing. Um, after or Albert, sorry, not after. I know how to read. Um, Albert Beulah's husband stood by her side the whole time. He pulled every penny he had out of his bank account to get her the best lawyers. She was acquitted on May twenty fourth, nineteen twenty four, and left her husband on May twenty fifth, which is my birthday. Obviously, not that year, but that's my birthday. Beulah and Nan, you left your husband on on my birthday. Um, in 1926, she said that she had deserted, or he had deserted her, and in turn, she divorced him. Um, which, even that part is still very prominent in the movie. Um, Amos, which would be Roxy Hart's husband, stayed by her the entire time. And I think he even, like, the second, he was kind of against her until he found out she was pregnant. I don't know the whole details, because obviously, um, it happened in the 1920s almost a century ago and it's really difficult to find the newspapers and the court um proceedings from this you can't really find the court documents on this believe me i tried um so you kind of have to go off like what was popular at the time but at the same point in time i know that um the woman who wrote chicago was here for all this and she did i think for the most part really keep to the story i don't know if um Beulah Anan ever aspired to be a cabaret dancer or, you know, a singer or famous for that matter, but it does kind of play into the plot of the movie. So maybe that's how she tried to connect Beulah Anan and, um, Belva Gardner. I'm not sure. I think it feels good for the time and it makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, honestly, if I were in the 1920s, who wouldn't want to be famous? Who wouldn't want to be up on the stage in those beautiful dresses singing a song? I I mean, it seemed like the time, I feel like everybody, every girl probably wanted to be a Velma Kelly. I wouldn't be surprised. So maybe, maybe there is some truth to that. It was kind of hard to locate. I'm just kind of melding the movie Chicago together and also 
what I know to be factual, which is this story. You never know. But, uh, God, it's just fascinating to though, because I have always loved the movie Chicago, and I never knew it was true crime up until about, like, what, four months ago, maybe? I never knew it was based off a true, true story, and I never knew there were real people behind the movie Chicago, which just makes me love it that much more, because it is, you know, kind of a piece of history, a little bit. It's a glimpse into what it would have been like to some extent. I obviously get it's exaggerated, but it's still pretty cool. Um, in 1927, Beulah married a famous boxer named Edward Hardlib, um, but three months later they were divorced. Uh, he was required to give her five grand in the divorce settlement, which nowadays would have been about $75,000. In 1928, at the age of 28, Beulah Anand died from tuberculosis. She was buried in her hometown of Kentucky, her home state of Kentucky. Beulah's crime and trial are the main focus of the musical, and it appears for big parts that Maureen Watkins kept the script really close to actual events, and I think she did a great justice to all of it, to all of it, I was so impressed when I started reading to find out that, like, she had kept it so close to home, and, like, when you read about the stuff that happened, like, you can almost hear all the Chicago songs, like, playing in the background, like, it was really hard for me to do this, I actually listened to the Chicago soundtrack while I was, uh, researching this, because it felt like the right thing to do, so that was pretty cool, I don't know, I had really enjoyed myself, and like I said, if you haven't seen Chicago, please go and go and do it, because it's such a good movie, and it's so well done, and I still think it even sits well today, I mean, if you don't like Renee Zellweger, maybe you'll hate it, um, I know there's, like, for some reason, a big hatred out there for her, this was before most of the plastic surgery, and I uh, still like Renee Zellweger, and she actually sings in that movie, and she does a decent, she does a good job, like, I'm actually, I was gonna say decent, but she's better than decent, she's good, I give her good. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> that's my story. I'm, I'm, I'm done being hyped, no, I'm not done being hyped up, I'll never be done being hyped up, but I have a date with my boyfriend to watch a movie, so I have to go. Um, <laughs> Uh, this has been Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. If you want, I have a patron, a patron page, Patreon page, Cabernet and True Crime. There are a a slew of videos on there of, like, extra content. I have learned how to edit videos. There are, every week, as long as my dog isn't bleeding out, there is a YouTube video called Serial Killer Shorts soon to be renamed, I think. I don't like that name anymore, but we'll see. And also, if you don't follow me on Instagram, Cabernet and True Crime, I post something every single day from weird crimes to Forensic Files Friday to everything you could ever want. I post something every single day. And if you have a request for a uh, true crime that you want me to cover, I have a little bit of a backlog because apparently people want, I, I, people listen to this, (laughs) and I guess I didn't know that they did, so, um, I have a couple of true crime cases I need to get to, but I really want to do this one first, and then I would get to the other ones, uh, so, yeah, with that being said, uh, thank you for letting me do this, and supporting me in getting to do something that I think is really fun, and something that I really like doing, it, it feels so good to know that there are people out there who actually listen to this and that that is kind of 
the encouragement for me to keep doing it and it makes me feel good you know it makes me feel good to know that people like like what I do that's wild to me this is all just a pipe dream and it's just fascinating the true crime community is so great like I've every person I've met via the internet has been just astounding just astounding there are so many amazing people that I've gotten to talk to and get to know and like they're worlds away they're worlds away and that's incredible I just think that's wild and I am so thankful for this community and the people in it and I'm happy I'm here and I'm happy you're here listening to this so thank you and with that being said I'm gonna let you guys go and I'm going to go put on my jam jams and lay down. How about that? So, <laughs> good night, good day, good evening. That's the same as night. Good morning, I guess. And uh, I'll talk to you next time.